Hey guys, gals, we, the, they, them, whatever makes you feel sexy. Girl B here, back at you with episode 13 of Strip It Down, entitled Good Grief. If y'all stuck in here with me for this whole time, I just want to say thank you. I obviously have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know about tech or even what I really want to talk about, but I know that I started doing this as a way to kind of get all my crazy thoughts out and to hope that it might help people or educate or at the very least entertain you in the process. So I hope that I'm accomplishing at least that much, but please continue to tune in and share the cast and let me know what you think and what you want to hear about. Today's episode is personal, I guess. You could say uh, probably a bit depressing, but relevant because I think we've all been there. You know, death touches everyone. I recorded it in a very vulnerable and emotional state, but I think that that's good because that's when we're most honest, especially with ourselves. So February is my arch nemesis month where I feel like it's cursed because all kinds of just crazy random things all just seem to go wrong. I almost always get sick or hurt. The kids start acting crazy. They get in trouble. Reed and I fight about like stupid stuff work, friendships, everything seems to just kind of go awry. You name it, it's off. Um, But the hardest part about this month is that it's the month that my mother passed away in. She died the day after Valentine's Day, so I tend to get a bit touchy and emotional, even though I don't really mean to. So when I recorded this, it was a particularly trying day to begin with. Um, And then there was, of course, that that thought hanging over my head but it got me thinking about life and death and all those heavy philosophical things and it's just crazy to think about sometimes that even though it's a constant and an inevitable part of life I feel like you never really get used to people that you love dying no matter if they were 100 and they lived a really full life or they were taken way too young it just never seems to feel right no matter what it's a strange void that's left in their absence that feels like it can never be filled But then you have to ask yourselves, you know, do you want it to be? Why would I want the memory of someone I loved and cared for to just vanish? So does the pain vanish too? I mean, it can be really hard dealing with the conflict of those two emotions. The pain of wanting and having to move on with your life and not being sad all the time, but also mixed in with the pain of not wanting to let them go and the guilt of what that means if you do. So how do we honor and remember those people that we love that meant so much to us, but still go on, still find the will to keep living our own lives? Does it ever really get easier? Yes and no. I don't think it gets easier. I think life just finds a way. I think it makes a new normal without that person, and you just have to live it. Not because you want to, but because you have to. I read a great thread on Reddit the other day where a user said that they had just lost a friend and they were having a really hard time dealing with the grief of that and they were looking for some advice. And an old man responded with one of the greatest analogies that I could have ever imagined. He said that you need to imagine losing a loved one is like being in a shipwreck. And it's like you're going along on the ocean and then bam, it happens. And you find yourself disoriented, floating along, surrounded by the wreckage and all the pieces reminding you of the ship that was and the ocean beating at you relentlessly with these waves of grief. In the beginning, the waves are so big, they crash into you without mercy, 10 seconds apart, without even a moment to catch your breath. You feel like you're definitely gonna die. It's just too much. But after a while, weeks or months or whatever, the waves are still big, but they start to get further apart. There are longer gaps of relief. And when they come, they still knock you out, but in between you can at least function. (laughs) You never know what that trigger is going to be, the next trigger that's going to get the next wave coming. It could be a song, a place, even a smell. But when it does, the wave comes, and everything in between is just life. 
But somewhere down the line, it's different for everybody, of course, but you start to see that the waves are getting smaller and they're coming further apart. You can even start to see them coming at this point, you know, anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, whatever. You can try to prepare yourself and even as the wave comes and crashes over you, you tell yourself that you know you're going to come out the other side, just like you've already done so many other times before. You might be soaking wet and sputtering and clinging to all those tiny pieces of the wreckage that you can find, but you'll still come out and life will still go on. So now that I'm so far out from my mother's death, I can confirm that the waves never really stop coming, but at the same time, you don't really want them to. Even though it hurts or people think that you should be over it or whatever it is, at the end of the day, our memories, however painful, are all we really have and we don't want to lose them. At least I don't. (laughs) But even though I've accepted that it will just always be hard, life does go on, and that includes work. So I kind of discuss the interesting ways that the club might help or hurt someone in this situation, and I ask you guys what you think about it. So let's strap up and strip it down. again on our way to work um it's Wednesday which so (laughs) that could be good or bad um I've actually had some really great Wednesdays but it kind of all depends it it feels like January has gone on forever I just feel I just feel like this month just keeps going and going and doesn't end Um, not that I'm particularly in a rush for February February is kind of my my month where you know I think that we all have dates or events or things that happen in our life that when they come around you know the anniversaries of are really sad for us or really hard for us for whatever reason and in February um, you know my mother passed away the day after Valentine's Day and it was a long time ago Um, I mean gosh 15 years I think you know Um, yeah so when it when when it when February fifteenth comes this year, it will be a day that marks the fact that I have now been alive on this earth without my mother longer than I was with her, and that's super depressing. Um, and everybody deals with those types of things in their own way, and people will always try to tell you that like it's okay to deal with things in your own way but so you know the second of january is over and the the valentine stuff starts going up and you start seeing the hearts and the mushy stuff and all that where everybody else is excited and it kind of signals this time of love and appreciation and all that it kind of has a different meaning to me it's kind of like this dreadful knot that just starts to twist into my stomach as i have to think about it all month long and so it's it's not my favorite holiday, (laughs) um, by nobody's fault, but it just brings up kind of that conversation that when is it, when is it too much? Like when have you mourned enough? When, when are you supposed to snap out of it? And I've had this conversation with a lot of different people and over a lot of different situations and a lot of different deaths. And I think everybody kind of struggles with it 
just like I am. Um, my husband was practically raised by his grandfather and um, he was a great man. You know, I met him and I knew him for a couple of years before he passed and he was just a man of, you know, salt of the earth kind of guy. And he really, really shaped Reed into the man that he is. And I see it all the time in the way that he acts or the way he responds to situations or the things he says. And I know that his family has definitely looked to him kind of to fill that patriarchal, patriarchal, the patriarch role, (laughs) the patriarch role. And he does, he does that to the best of his ability, but I think it puts a lot of pressure on him to try to live up to the legacy that, that he, that his grandfather was. Um, and, but he tries And I know that him and I have discussed this because it's been a couple of years now um, since his grandfather passed. And, you know, his month is March. His whole family's month is March. You know, they kind of have the saying of beware the eyes of March in in a kind of satirical way. But it's really true for them because it seems like they've had a lot of very traumatic family events that have gone down in the month of March. Um, so they kind of have a similar reaction to it. They kind of just are, I hold their breath the entire time, just kind of waiting for the shoe to drop to see if anything bad's going to happen. Um, and he, he passed away in March the year he died. And so, you know, I, I'm kind of a mess in February and then Reed's kind of a mess in March and we kind of hold each other back and forth through each, each thing. But we had this discussion about, about death and about um, timelines and, and mourning and all that type of stuff. And, and I think, you know, he, I, I told him, I think it was last year, I was like, you know, it's been so long now that I almost feel guilty being sad. I feel guilty. I feel guilty talking about it. I feel guilty being sad. I feel pitiful. You know, I feel like people are just like, oh gosh, get over it already, you know? Um, and I understand that. And I also understand the idea and the ideology that just wallowing in something obviously isn't going to make you feel better about it, but I can't help it. You know, it's kind of like what I give myself. I give myself February to remember her and to think about her and to deal with how I feel about it and miss her and all those things. You know, I kind of give that to myself. So that the rest of the year, I try not to think about it. And it's one of those things that if you've ever, you know, if you've lost a parent young, it it comes up all the time. I mean, every wedding I go to, including mine, um, every baby that's born, every, you know, every life goal and event that happens, I think about it. You know, I think about how I wish she was here to see it or whatever. And I know Reed feels the same about his grandfather, especially, you know, advice. It's something that we look to our elders for, especially those that we idolize and that we respect. And when life hands us heavy things and we don't have them there for counsel anymore, it's, um, it's sad and it's hard because we don't trust our own intuitions and our own understandings sometimes. And we want that validation and that support of someone that we do trust and we do respect and they're not there. And lately and tonight especially is one of those times. So um, I'm going through a really hard time with my daughter, my oldest daughter. 
she has ADD. She has for been diagnosed with ADD for quite a few years now. Um, and so there's been all the ups and downs of that academically and, and physically and socially, all those kinds of up and downs. She tends to fall a lot harder on the spectrum of manic, um, but she does have her depress depressive episodes. Um, but she's uh, usually really, really up, just up, 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 up all the time. And she... I, it, it isolates her socially because she just drives everyone around her crazy. The other kids don't want to be around her, don't want to talk to her because she's just nonstop. Compulsive liar, just lies about everything and anything um, for no reason, really. But usually it's to exaggerate a story or to sound more important. You know, if, if you're talking about scuba diving, she's got a story about scuba diving. If you're talking about space, she's got a story about space. And I, I know that it's because she wants to be relevant, but... It just doesn't come out that way most of the time. It comes off conceited and self-absorbed and all that kind of stuff, especially to other children that don't know better and don't have the maturity to understand where she's trying to come from. So that can be difficult to deal with. Um, and she steals. She's recently got into stealing just just anything anything um usually it's little piddly stuff we're not talking about like going into a jewelry store and robbing the place but you know pens markers office supplies hair accessories clothes but anything she can get her hands on usually people around her she takes I don't know if it's for the thrill of stealing or if it's literally for her to have and use. I don't really know what her motivations are for it, but I've been told by her therapist and some other resources that, that that's fairly common, you know, especially in her age and the things she suffers with. Um, she has a preoccupation with fire now. She likes to light things on fire, grass on fire, not to hurt anyone, but just to just to see it burn, you know? Um, a lot of very concerning, very stressful behaviors have started to emerge, and it's put an unbelievable amount of stress on me and my husband and our marriage together, and the whole family, really. But it's put a ton of stress, and, you know, it just kind of puts a microscope on differences in the way you feel about things and on how you handle things and and all that you know I would definitely say that Reed and I are a great team and in most things we're very equally yoked we feel the same we have the same values we agree about the way things should be handled uh, most of the time but where our two personalities diverge most dramatically would be um with how we deal with discipline and how we deal with people that need to be disciplined. Uh, Reed is extremely good at self-preservation <laughs> and extremely good at indifference. He, he can meet somebody in a, or he can have his best friend of 50 years could do something not, you know, not appropriate or do something wrong to where, you know, the appropriate reaction to, would be to be upset and to probably not want to see him again or whatever. But Reed has no problem cutting him off, just being done, just never looking at his face ever again. There's no kind of guilt. There's no confusion. There's no back and forth in his mind. It's like that person messed up and they made a poor choice and I'm done with them. And that type of decisiveness can be amazing and great and it can be terrible and stressful depending on the situation you know I envy him and his ability to do that when 
you need to. You know, he's helped me so much be able to set boundaries and to follow them and to put up walls in my life that need to be there and to not let people take advantage of me and to not let situations, you know, overwhelm me. To be a really strong, independent person. And I admire that about him. But at the same time, it makes it extremely hard for him to analyze the situation and see it from any other side or any other motivation or any other intent. He doesn't have the same emotional attachment to people that helps us to be more patient, that helps us to try to see where they're coming from, if that makes sense. Whereas I have way too much. I would say empathy is kind of where it is. Reed is sympathetic. He can sympathize with anyone about any emotion they're having. Obviously, he's had them himself. But I wouldn't say he's a naturally empathetic person. Just because there is someone hurting or having a problem doesn't mean that he feels compelled to fix it or feels that same pain that they do, whereas I most definitely do. I am painfully empathetic. I mean, a stranger could be crying in a parking lot and I would just feel so bad for them and want to help them, want to make them feel better. And I know this is something that Reed admires in me too and thinks it's beautiful and wonderful, you know, my compassion and my patience with people. But it has hurt me over the years as well. It's it's made me give people way too many chances. It's made me be way too vulnerable. You know, my ex-husband is a perfect example. It's made me stay in situations and be manipulated in situations because I care so much. And so I've tried to work on that myself. And so it's kind of one of those things that most of the time, these two parts of ourselves balance each other out. His rigidness helps me enforce things that need to be enforced. And my softness helps him understand things that he doesn't necessarily understand or feel. But when it comes to parenting, anybody that's a parent understands that co-parenting is extremely difficult, even if you are very alike. Because because of our own personal hangups and our own personal views on things, we project those onto our children and we project them onto what they're doing and onto their behavior. And so obviously I have a very hard time with discipline and I always have and my kids know that and they have preyed on that. And a personality like my daughter's is manipulative and she sees right through that and knows that she can pick at me and pull me apart and tear me down and, she can, and get what she wants if she just keeps at me hard enough. And obviously that's not healthy and that's not the right dynamic for a parent and a daughter to have. So Reed does help me kind of enforce and be you know the enforcer and be stronger and, and kind of help to shift that dynamic and shift that narrative and he's helped me a lot especially as her behavior has deteriorated and gotten worse we've both had to unfortunately step up and kind of be the bad guy and that's not something I'm very good at but I'm trying and it's something that he is good at but that he doesn't like you know he doesn't want to have to be the bad guy all the time and Sometimes my lack of follow-through makes him have to do it, which is not fair. But at the same time, I'm a mother, and I love my kids, and I love my husband, and I understand his reasoning and his approach and his feelings about things. You know, I understand that when we have 
gone into my daughter's room every day for the past week and a half and found something she shouldn't have for a week and a half. I understand the impatience and the just the pure just frustration of just not caring anymore. You know, not really caring about her feelings, not really caring about hearing her side of the story or anything like that. You know, at some point you just reach this place where you're just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your manipulation. I don't want to hear your bull crap. I don't want to hear your lies. You're, you're just wrong. <laughs> and, and that's kind of where we both gotten to with her, which is why we've sought some extra assistance, um, with her, which is a whole different thing, but we're getting there. You know, I'm in the process of making some changes and doing some things that we hope are going to help us give us the resources we need to help us to deal with her so that we don't get to a boiling point like we did tonight. And so tonight was one of the, you know, same thing. It's like, we have, I have to go into my daughter's room pretty much every single day and shake it down and make sure she doesn't have scissors or lighters or things aren't broken or there's not like an ink pen spilled all over the carpet or, you know, it's like, it's literally like having a toddler at all times. I have to go up there and I have to shake her down like she's in prison just to make sure she's safe, we're safe, that kind of stuff. And sometimes she gets one over on me. You know, sometimes she hides it better than I, I find. Or she kind of wears me down with her excuses as to why she has something. Or and she plays on my softness. She plays, she plays on my emotions and my, my compassion and wanting to give her another chance and wanting to believe her. She plays on that to get away with things. And it frustrates Reed to no end, um, which is understandable. But so he reached the point where he's just frustrated. He's like, I'm going to, he's, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to look through her stuff. I'm going to find the crap that needs to be found. And I'm not going to listen to her, her real crap. And I'm not going to hear her side of the story because it doesn't matter. And in a lot of ways, he's right. Um, but it just creates this conundrum of where's the balance, you know, where's the balance between the hard line you have to draw to enforce the rules and to get her to fall to fall in line and to be safe and all these types of things. But then also the balance of making sure we're validating her as a person and making sure that she feels safe and loved and supported by her parents, by her authority figures, you know, not ostracized and despised and resented, even though she's doing behaviors that are making us feel that way. And she's pushing and she's pushing and she's pushing. It can be hard for us to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, she's still a child. And we have to remember that. And we have to be the bigger people. And we have to be the adults. And we have to swallow the emotions that she's putting into us. And the frustration that she's causing in us. And try to remember the appropriate way to deal with things. And it can be hard. And tonight, you know, we both kind of lost our temper. We lost our, our composure. And he yelled a little bit at her and was just very kind of a little mean, I guess is the way to put it. I mean, he wasn't, he's never, he's never abusive or anything like that. I mean, it's not mean, it's not ugly to her, but just very short, very, you know, stern, very, you know, for an emotional teenage girl, rough. And it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to deal with. It's hard for me to, you know, because my inner softy is like, oh no, you don't have to be that hard. You don't have to be that hard. But then my brain is going, okay, but if, she, if he's soft, he's, she's not going to respect it, you know, because she doesn't respect me when I'm soft. So I'm fighting kind of an internal struggle within myself. He's kind of losing patience, losing his patience, and 
getting upset, kind of throwing things, oh, you throw this away, throw that away, you're not supposed to have this, and kind of just being upset. And the whole thing was just a very unproductive, very unproductive scenario that just left everyone feeling like crap. You know, surely she felt unloved and ununderstood by us. I felt stressed and conflicted about wanting to protect my daughter but also wanting to support my husband and also wanting to raise my daughter right and I'm sure he felt conflicted by being frustrated with my softness and also with having to be forceful with her you know we were all just not feeling good and it caused tension between him and I and you know we yelled at each other a little bit back and forth afterwards you know after the fact because I, I try to make a very strong effort to always be on the same page in front of the children because that's important. But, you know, obviously behind closed doors afterwards, there was some exchange of words and some frustrations said. And um, that was that. And to tie it all into the point of the beginning of my rambling about death and all that is that I... I remember I had to start getting ready for work, which is terrible. I mean, anybody that dances, you know, when, you, when you're fighting with your significant other or someone else or something dramatic is happening, work is just the last place you want to be, last place you can want to expel that kind of emotion and, and mental work. But I need to go to work, and I'm not going to feel any better sitting at home brooding, so I need to try to channel that energy productively if I can but I'm sitting there getting ready for work and we're not speaking to each other. And I remember thinking, having one of those moments where I thought, I, I just wish my mom was here. You know, I just wish so badly that I could call her right now and just do what mothers, you know, what daughters and mothers do that, you know, cry about what happened and ask for her advice and you know all you know just I just wanted so badly in that moment to just have her to comfort me and to tell me what to do and to assure me that I'm not being a terrible mother you know the, the, all those types of things that we need from our parents you know I just I just wanted that and I don't have it and there's nothing I can do about it and it made me think of I was thinking about it and I thought to myself you know that Reed probably feels the same way He's probably brooding in the other room, wishing he could call his grandfather, you know, wishing he could call him and ask his advice and ask him what to do and know that he was going to give him the right answer and he was going to tell him what to say or whatever, you know, he doesn't have that security either. He doesn't have that resource either. Um, and I think it makes us both really sad. I don't, I don't know what my point is, as usual. I'm just kind of rambling about it. But, you know, and, and I don't want to be cruel. I mean, I, you know, I have a stepmother who's been in my life for a long time, and my dad. And it's not that they're not good people or anything like that, or that, you know, they haven't been supportive or anything like that. It's just that, you know, we, we, have, our, we have our people. And, and again, and a girl wants her mother. And um, I think that's part of why I have such a hard time being strict with my kids um, and everything is because I know how delicate life is and I know how fleeting it is. I know what it's like to go to bed and wake up and someone is gone and there's no warning. You know, I know what it's like to sit there and think about the last thing you said to them and just hurt 
for all the things you wanted to say or would have said. Um, and I think, I think that that hits me more than it should because we can't live our life. I mean, we should live our life like we don't know tomorrow's promise. But at the same time, we also can't live with that fear so much so that we overcompensate in the now. And I think I do do that a lot. You know, I do that with all of the relationships in my life. I overcompensate. I'm so scared that I'm going to lose people all the time, be it to death or just life or, you know, just whatever it is. I'm always just so scared that I'm going to lose people that I overcompensate everything. And I overdo and I overtry trying to make sure I keep them around and keep them happy and make their life as great as it can possibly be so that if anything ever were to happen, I won't have that guilt and I'll know that I did my best and I'll know that I was a good whatever. Um, but you know, when you're a parent, that's not always good because they need to respect you and they need to need to lead by example. And uh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm definitely trying. <laughs> but it's hard. It's really hard. And um, so I kind of want. I was wondering, you know, girls, you are you are dancers. Um, do you have kind of that anniversary, that date, that moment for you that? It's really hard for you um, to deal with. It makes you sad, makes you contemplative, whatever it is. And do you work on that night or do you not? Uh, why or why not? I, I have worked on the anniversary and I have not worked on the anniversary. And I know why I did or didn't those particular times each time. And I wouldn't say any one is better than the other. Um, but they have, they serve their own purposes. You know, when you're really upset and you're really distracted, sometimes coming to work can be the compartment that you need to switch things off, to not obsess, to not overanalyze, to not beat yourself up, to just say, I have to do this. I have to do something else right now. And because you're putting on this fake persona, you're putting on this fake personality and you're, you're dealing with people that don't matter in your day-to-day -day life, it's kind of like a good therapeutic way to just disassociate and get away for a little while and to gain perspective and to calm down and all that. But at the same time, it can also be extremely hard to do that when you're upset and hurting and all of those types of things. So, yep, I've done both. I'm curious what you guys have done and why. Um, but not just dancers, you know, I'm curious about everybody. You know, everybody's got that date or that time in their life that is hard for them. And I want to know about yours. You know, I want you guys to, to write to me or message me and tell me what experience that it is for you and how you feel about it and how you process it and if you struggle with feeling guilty or like you should be over it or not and those types of things and I just want to know because I know that's something that I struggle with and I, I just I mean obviously I just don't think I'll ever be over it but how much precedent will it take in my life on a day-to-day -day basis I don't know it kind of comes and goes um but it is what it is. So yeah, uh, lots of goodies this week. I hope you guys liked it or understood it or got something out of it. Um, I'd love y'all's feedback in general, but also on what I was talking about, um, about how you work while you're sad or you're dealing with things. You know, what suggestions or opinions do you have, et cetera, et cetera. Not just dancers, um, everybody. 
But thank you guys again for joining me this week. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the show. And don't forget you guys can call in to be a part of the show and I might feature your question or comment on an upcoming episode. You just go to anchor.fm slash down slash message and leave it there for me. Or you can email me at bstripsitdown at outlook.com or on Instagram or Facebook. But until next time, drink more water, have more sex, and go the fuck to sleep.